0: I have the pleasure to present to you, Dr. Martin Luther King, J.R.
1: I am happy to join with you today in what will go down in history as the greatest demonstration for freedom in the history of our nation. The life of the Negro is still sadly crippled by the manacles of segregation and the chains of discrimination 100 years later. The Negro lives on a lonely island of poverty in the midst of a vast ocean of material prosperity 100 years later. The Negro is still languished in the corners of American society and finds himself in exile in his own land. And so we've come here today to dramatize a shameful condition. In a sense, we've come to our nation's capital to cash a check. When the architects of our republic There will be neither rest nor tranquility in America until the Negro is granted his citizenship rights. The whirlwinds of revolt will continue to shake the foundations of our nation until the bright day of justice emerges. But that is something that I must say to my people who stand on the warm threshold which leads into the Palace of Justice. of dignity and discipline. We must not allow our creative protests to degenerate into physical violence. Again and again, we must rise to the majestic heights of meeting physical force with soul force. The marvelous new militancy which has engulfed the Negro community must not lead us to a distrust of all white people. For many of our white brothers, as evidenced by their presence here today, have come to realize that their is our they have come to realize that their freedom is inextricably bound to our freedom. We cannot walk alone. As we walk, We must make the pledge that we shall always march ahead. We cannot turn back. There are those who are asking the devotees of civil rights, when will you be satisfied? We can never be satisfied as long as the Negro is the victim of all the unspeakable horrors of police brutality. We can never be satisfied. As long as our bodies heavy with the fatigue of travel cannot gain lodging in the motels of the highways and the hotels of the city. We cannot be satisfied as long as a Negro in Mississippi cannot vote and a Negro in New York believes he has nothing for which to vote.
2: Yeah, 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 yeah.
1: No, no, we are not satisfied and we will not be satisfied until justice rolls down like waters and righteousness like a mighty stream. I am not unmindful that some of you have come here out of great trials and tribulations. Some of you have come fresh from narrow jail cells. Some of you have come from areas where your quest for freedom left you battered by the storms of persecution and staggered by the winds of police brutality. You have been the veterans of creative suffering Continue to work with the faith that unearned suffering is redemptive. Go back to Mississippi. Go back to Alabama. Go back to South Carolina. Go back to Georgia. Go back to Louisiana. Go back to the slums and ghettos of our northern cities. Knowing that somehow this situation can and will be changed. Let us not wallow in the valley of despair. I say to you today, my friends, so even though we face the difficulties of today and tomorrow, I still have a dream.
0: I want to introduce now Brother Bayard Rustin, who will read the demands of the March on Washington Movement. Everyone must listen to these demands. This is why we are here. And now, Bayard Rustin.
2: Friends, at 5 o'clock today, the leaders whom you have heard who go to President Kennedy to carry the demands of this revolution. It is now time for you to act. I will read each demand and you will respond to it so that when Mr. Wilkins and Dr. King and the other eight leaders go, They are carrying demands which you have given your approval to. The first demand is that we have effective civil rights legislation, no compromise, no filibuster, and that it include public accommodations, decent housing, integrated education, FAPC, and the right to vote. What do you say? Number two, number two, that we demand the withholding of federal funds from all programs in which discrimination exists. What do you say? that segregation be ended in every school district in the year 1963. We demand the enforcement of the 14th Amendment, the reducing of congressional representation of states Where citizens are disenfranchised. We demand an executive order banning discrimination in all housing supported by federal funds. We demand that every person in this nation, black or be given training and work with dignity to defeat unemployment and automation. We demand that there be an increase in the national minimum wage so that men may live in dignity. We finally demand let all of the rights given to any citizen be given to black men and men of every minority group, including a strong FEPC. And now, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Randolph will read the pledge. This is a pledge, says, our job has just begun. You pledge to return home to carry on the revolution. After Mr. Randolph has made the pledge, I will say, do you so pledge, and you will say, I do pledge.
0: The pledge, will you stand? Standing before the Lincoln Memorial on the 28th of August in the centennial year of emancipation, I affirm my complete personal commitment to the struggle for jobs and freedom for Americans. To fulfill that commitment, I pledge that I will not relax until victory is won. I pledge that I will join and support all actions undertaken in good faith accord with the time-honored democratic tradition of nonviolent protest, of peaceful assembly and petition, and of redress through the courts and the legislative process. I pledge to carry the message back home and arouse them to an equal commitment and equal effort. I will march and I will write letters. I will demonstrate and I will vote. I will work to make sure that my voice and those of my brothers ring clear and determined from every corner of our land. I pledge my heart and my mind and my body unequivocally and without regard to personal sacrifice to the achievement of social peace through social justice. How do you pledge?
2: I, I
0: Now, these cards have provision for your name, address, and the date, August 28th, when you made this pledge. And this pledge should be kept and framed and placed in your home for the inspiration of your generations to come. Dr. Benjamin E. May will give the benediction.
3: Let us bow our heads in prayer. God of history and of all mankind, God of Abraham and Moses, Amos and Isaiah, Jesus and Paul, God of our weary years, God of our silent tears, pour out thy benediction, upon the United States of America. Pour it out upon President Kennedy and the members of his cabinet upon whose shoulders the destiny of all mankind may rest. Pour it out upon the nine justices of the United States Supreme Court who need wisdom to interpret wisely and courage to hand down just decisions. Pour out thy benediction, God, upon the members of Congress who need wisdom, courage, a sense of justice, deep faith in democracy, and an abiding faith in their God to enact legislation that will further implement the American dream. Here we are, God, 180 million people, 100 years after Lincoln freed the slaves, 98 years after the close of a bloody civil war fought to preserve one nation under God indivisible, 187 years after Jefferson declared that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and a pursuit of happiness. Here we are, God, confused, baffled, floundering, afraid, faithless, debating whether the Congress of the United States should pass legislation guaranteeing to every American the equal protection of the law debating whether a business should have the right to discriminate against a man because thou, O God, made him black. In peace and, and in war, thou hast blessed America. As the nations of the earth look to the United States for moral and democratic leadership, maybe not fail them, nor thee. Please God, in this moment of crisis and decision, give the United States wisdom, give her courage, give her faith to meet the challenge of this hour. God, keep, sustain, and bless the United States, and help the weary travelers to overcome someday soon. Amen. Amen.
4: <laughs>
3: uh, <laughs> <laughs> <that. laughs>
5: <one>
0: Fellow <laughs> <laughs> Americans, we are gathered here in the largest demonstration. In the history of this nation, let the nation and the world know the meaning of our numbers. We are not a pressure group. We are not a mob. We are the advance guard of a massive moral revolution for jobs and freedom. This revolution reverberates throughout the land, touching every city, every town every village where black men are segregated, oppressed, and exploited. But this civil rights revolution is not confined to the Negro, nor is it confined to civil rights. They cannot be free, while we are not. And we know that we have no future in a society in which six million black and white people are unemployed and millions more living poverty. Nor is the goal of our civil rights revolution merely the passage of civil rights legislation. Yes, we open to all citizens, but those accommodations will mean little to those who cannot afford to use them. Yes, we want a Fair Employment Practice Act, but what good will it do if profit-geared automation destroys the jobs of millions of workers, black and white. We want integrated public schools, but that means we also want federal aid to education, all forms of education. We want a free democratic society dedicated to the political, economic, and social advancement of man along moral lines. Now, we know that real freedom will require many changes in the nation's political and social philosophies and institutions. For one thing, we must destroy the notion that Mrs. Murphy's property rights include the right to humiliate me because of the color of my skin. The psych- The sanctity of private property takes second place to the sanctity of the human personality. It falls to the Negro to reassert this proper priority of values because our ancestors were transformed from human personalities into private property. It falls to us to demand new forms of social planning, to create full employment, and to put automation at the service of human needs not at the service of profits we for we are the worst victims of unemployment negroes are in the forefront of today's movement for social and racial justice because we know they cannot expect the realization of their aspirations our aspirations through the same old anti-democratic social institutions and philosophies that have all along frustrated our aspirations. And so we have taken our struggle into the streets. As the labor movement took its struggle into the streets, as Jesus Christ led the multitude through the streets of Judea, the plain and simple fact is that until we went into the streets, the federal government was indifferent to our demands. It was not until the streets and jails of Birmingham were filled that Congress began to think about civil rights legislation. It was not until thousands demonstrated in the South that lunch counters and other public accommodations were integrated. It was not until the Freedom Riders were brutalized in Alabama that the 1946 Supreme Court decision banning discrimination in interstate travel was enforced. And it was not until construction sites were picketed in the North that Negro workers were hired. Those who deplore our militants who exhort patience in the name of a false peace are in fact supporting segregation and exploitation. They would have social peace at the expense of social and racial justice. They they, uh, are more concerned with easing racial tension than enforcing a racial democracy. The months and years ahead will bring new evidence of masses in motion for freedom. The march on Washington is not the climax of our struggle, but a new beginning, not only for the Negro, but for all Americans who thirst for freedom and a better life. Look for the enemies of Medicare, of higher minimum wages, of social security, of federal aid to education, and there you will find the enemy of the Negro, the coalition of dixocrats and reactionary Republicans that seek to dominate the Congress. We must develop strength in order that we may be able to back and support the civil rights program of President Kennedy. In the struggle against these forces, all of us should be prepared to take to the streets the spirit and techniques that built the labor movement, founded churches, and now guide the civil rights revolution. Must be a massive crusade. Must be launched against the unholy coalition of dixocrats and uh, the racists that seek to strangle Congress. We here today are on the first wave. When we leave, it will be to carry on the civil rights revolution home with us into every nook and cranny of the land, and we shall return again and again to Washington in every growing numbers until total freedom is ours. pleasure to present to this great audience, young John Lewis, National Chairman, Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, Brother John Lewis.
6: We march today for jobs and freedom. But we have nothing to be proud of. But hundreds and thousands of our brothers are not here, for they're receiving salvation wages or no wages at all. While we stand here, there are sharecroppers in the Delta of Mississippi who are out in the field working for less than $3 a day. While we stand here, there are students in jail on trump up charges. Our brother James Farmer, along with many others, is also in jail. We come here today with a great sense of misgiving. It is true that we support the administration's civil rights bill. We support it with great reservation, however. Unless unless Tile 3 is put in this bill, there's nothing to protect the young children and old women who must face police dogs and fire hoses in the South while they engage in peaceful demonstration. In its present form, this bill will not protect the citizen of Danville, Virginia, who must live in constant fear of a police state. It will not protect the hundreds and thousands of people who have been arrested upon Trump charges. What about the three young men, Snickfield, secretary, and America's Georgia, who faced a death penalty for engaging in peaceful protests? As it stands now, the voting section of this bill will not help the thousands of black people who want to vote. It will not help the citizens of Mississippi, of Alabama, and Georgia who are qualified to vote but lack a sixth grade education. One man, one vote is the African cry. It is ours, too. It must be ours. We must have legislation that will protect the Mississippi sharecropper who is put off of his farm because he dared to register to vote. We need a bill that will provide for the homeless and starving people of this nation. We need a bill that will ensure the equality of a maid who earns $5 a week in the home of a family whose total income is $100,000 a year. We must have a good FEPC bill. my friends let us not forget that we are involved in a serious social revolution for by and large american politics is dominated by politicians who build their career on immoral compromising and align themselves with an open form of political economic and social exploitation <laughs> there are exceptions of course we salute those But what political leader can stand up and say, my party is the party of principles? For the party of Kennedy is also the party of Eastland. (laughs) The party of Javis is also the party of Goldwater. Where is our party? Where is the political party that will make it unnecessary to march on Washington? Where is the political party that will make it unnecessary to march in the streets of Birmingham? Where is the political party that will protect the citizen of Albany, Georgia? Do you know that in Albany, Georgia, nine of our leaders have been indicted, not by the Dixiecrats, but by the federal government for peaceful protest? But what did the federal government do when Albany deputy sheriff beat Attorney C.B. Kane and left him half dead? What did the federal government do when local police official? kick and assault the pregnant wife of Slater King and she lost her baby. Those who have said be patient and wait. We must say that we cannot be patient. We do not want our freedom gradually, but we want to be free now. We do not want to go to jail. But we will go to jail if this is the price we must pay for love, brotherhood, and true peace. I appeal to all of you to get in this great revolution that is sweeping this nation. Get in and stay in the streets of every city, every village, and hamlet of this nation until true freedom comes, until the revolution of 1776 is complete. We must get in this revolution and complete the revolution or in the Delta of Mississippi, in Southwest Georgia, in the Black Belt of Alabama, in Harlem, in Chicago, Detroit, Philadelphia, and all over this nation, the Black masses on the march for jobs and freedom. <laughs> They're talking about slow down and stop. We will not stop. All of the forces of Eastland Barnett, Wallace, and Thurman will not stop this revolution. If we do not get meaningful legislation out of this Congress, the time will come when we will not confine our march into Washington. We will march through the south, through the streets of Jackson, through the streets of Danville, through the streets of Cambridge, through the streets of Ah! Denver. But we will march with the spirit of love and with the spirit of dignity that we have shown here today.
0: Our next speaker is the brilliant Executive Director of the National Urban League, Whitney M. Young Jr one of the leaders of the Civil Rights Movement.
5: Brother Randolph, fellow Americans, the National Urban League is honored to be a participant in this historic occasion. Our presence here not only reflects the civil rights communities increased respect for and awareness of the Urban League's role. But most important, it says, and I hope loud and clear, that while intelligence, maturity, and strategy dictate that as civil rights agencies we use different methods, we are all united as never before on the goal of first-class citizenship for all Americans now. That we meet here today in common cause, not as white people, nor as black people, nor as members of any particular group, is a tribute to those Americans who dare to live up and to practice our democratic ideals and our religious heritage. That we meet here today is a tribute also to all black Americans who for 100 years have continued in peaceful and orderly protest to bear witness to our deep faith in America, and in this method of protest, to that we meet here at all, however, is to the shame of some who is of the brown American, and to the shame of those who would make deals, would water down civil rights legislation, or take cowardly refuge in technical details around elementary human rights and who would even now delay until after Christmas the consideration of these bills before Congress. For his past failures as a responsible citizen of the majority group, the evils of the past and the guilt about it cannot be erased by a one-day pilgrimage, however magnificent. Nor can this pilgrimage substitute for an obligation to tomorrow by these same citizens. And so this march must go beyond this historic moment. For the true test of the rededication and the commitment which should flow from this meeting will be in recognition, test, or however incensed our congressional representatives are by this demonstration. They will not act because of it alone. We must support the strong. We must give courage to the timid. We must remind the indifferent. And we must warn the opposed. Civil rights, which are God-given and constitutionally guaranteed, are not negotiable in 1963. Furthermore, we must work together even more closely back home where the job must be done, to see that Negro Americans are accepted as first-class citizens and that they are enabled to do some more marching. They must march from the rat-infested, overcrowded ghettos to decent, wholesome, unrestricted residential areas dispersed throughout our cities. They must march from the relief rolls to the established retraining centers from underemployment as unskilled workers to higher occupations commensurate with our skills. They must march from the cemeteries where our young, our newborn die three times sooner and our parents die seven years earlier. They must march from there to established health and welfare centers. They must march from the congested, ill-equipped schools which breed dropouts and which smother motivation to the well-equipped, integrated facilities throughout the city. They must march from the play areas in crowded and unsafe streets to the newly open areas in the parks and recreational centers. And finally, they must march from a present feeling of despair and hopelessness, despair and frustration, to a renewed faith and confidence due to intangible programs and visible changes made possible only by walking together to the PTA meetings, to the libraries, to the decision-making bodies, to the schools and the colleges, to the adult education centers for all age groups, to the voter registration booth. The hour is late, the gap is widening. The rumble of the drums of discontent sounding throughout this land, are heard in all parts of the world. The missions which we send there to keep the world safe for democracy are shallow symbols unless with them goes the living testament that this country practices at home the doctrine which it seeks to promote abroad. How serious our national leaders are will be measured not by words but by the speed and sincerity with which they pass necessary legislation, with which they admit to the tragic injustice that has been done our country and its Negro citizens by historic discrimination and rejection, and until they take intensive remedial steps to correct the damage in order to give true meaning to the words equal opportunity. This is the real significance of our march today, August 28, 1963. Our march is a march for America. It is a march just begun.
0: We will now listen to a great American and a dedicated leader the acknowledged champion of civil rights in America, Mr. Roy Wilkins, Executive Secretary, National Association for the Advancement of Colored People, of the Roy Wilkins. Thank you, thank you,
4: thank you. on, on, My friends, We're here today because we want the Congress of the United States to hear from us in person what many of us have been telling our public officials back home, and that is, we want freedom now. (laughs) We came here to petition our lawmakers to be as brave as our sit-ins and our marchers to be as daring as James Meredith to be to be as unafraid as the nine children of Little Rock and to be as forthright As the Governor of North Carolina, we came to speak here to our Congress, to those men and women who speak here for us in that marble forum over yonder on the hill. They know from their vantage point here of the greatness of this whole nation, of its reservoirs of strength, and of the sicknesses which threaten always to sap its strength and to erode in one or another selfish and stealthy and specious fashion the precious liberty of the individual which is the hallmark of our country among the nations of the earth. We have come asking the enactment of legislation that will affirm the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, and that will place the resources and the honor of the government of all the people behind the Pledge of Equality and the Declaration of Independence. We want employment. And with it, we want the pride and responsibility and self-respect that goes with equal access to jobs. Therefore, we want an FEPC bill as a part of the legislative package. Now for nine years, our parents and their children have been met with either a flat refusal or token action in school desegregation. Every added year of such treatment is a leg iron upon our men and women of 1980. The Civil Rights Bill, now under consideration in the Congress, must give new powers to the Justice Department to enable it to speed the end of Jim Crow schools South and North. We are We are sick of those jokes about public accommodations. We think, for example, that if Mrs. Murphy, rugged individualist that she must be, has taken her chances with the public thus far, She can get along without the solicitous protection of the August Senate of the United States. It is true, of course, that Mrs. Murphy might get a Negro traveler here and there in her boarding house or in her tourist home, but then we must remember this, he might get a white procurer or a white embezzler, too. So the Congress must require non-discriminatory public accommodation. Now, my friends all over this land, and especially in we are beaten and kicked and maltreated and shot and killed by local and state law enforcement officers. It is simply incomprehensible to us here today and to millions of others far from this spot that the United States government, which can regulate the contents of a pill, apparently is powerless to prevent the physical abuse of citizens within its own borders. power to act on his own initiative in the denial of any civil right, not just one or two, but any civil right in order to wipe out this shameful situation. Now, the President's proposals represent so moderate an approach that if it is weakened or eliminated, the remainder will be little more than Indeed, as it stands today, the package needs strengthening, and the President should join us in fighting to be sure that we get something more than PAP. And finally, we hear talk of protocol and procedures and rules, including the Senate filibuster rule. Well, we have a thought on that. We declare that rules are made to enable the Congress to legislate and not to keep it from legislating. And we're tired of hearing rules cited as a reason why they can't act. Now uh, we expect the passage of an effective civil rights bill. We commend those Republicans in both houses who are working for it. We salute those Democrats in both houses who are working for it. In fact, we even salute those from the South who want to vote for it but don't dare to do so. And we... And we say to those people, just give us a little time, and one of these days, we'll emancipate you. They'll get to the place where they can come to a civil rights rally, too. Those who support the bill will fight for it as hard and as skillfully as the Southern opposition fights against it, victory will be ours. Well, my friends, you've got religion here today. Don't blackslide tomorrow. Remember. Luke's account of the warning that was given to us all. No man, he wrote, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. Thank you.